All right, thank you everybody for coming. It's a pleasure to be back. That we're all here, healthy. Everybody had a good summer, I hope. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, we're holding in the uh, already mamish in the midst of Chodesh El, actually towards the end of Chodesh El already. This Matzah Shabbos, of course, we're starting to say Slichas. And there's a very interesting phenomenon that we see. Rav Palm, actually, he asked this question. Yet you find that someone is learning in yeshiva. Let's say, Yabach are learning in yeshiva. Or Yungaman and Kailo. So when Elul comes around, El Yom Neiraim, so the whole atmosphere, the whole environment is one of, of Kedusha, of Tshuva, and you feel that these are charged days, they're very potent. There's a lot of uh, Kedusha that is there. And you sense it, you sense a mamish within the walls of the base Medrash. So the learning is on a higher level than the rest of the year. The Sadarim, they're more full. People try to come on time. They try to stay focused. And the davening is definitely much starker. You sense, you feel it. You feel the Kedusha of El in the ear. That, right, right. Like Chaim said, it's a new beginning. So that's, that's when you're in yeshiva. And, but, but if you're, you know, like the most of us, you're out there in the world, you're working. So, you know, besides the, uh, the extra, little bit extra that we say by Shachas, by Minchala David Hashem and you hear the shaver blowing, you don't really feel that El was any different. So Asar of Palm, he said, it, it really, it should be the opposite. The guy in yeshiva, so he's he's already he's already in the uh, the base medrash all day. You know he's busy with kedusha v'tar. He's busy with Torah, with mitzvahs all day. He's learning. He's davening. So you know, what's he worried about already? But the guy out there in the street in the workforce, you know, he's got he's got issues because he has struggles. He has to worry about kedusha, about shmirasinayim, about being honest in his business. There's so much more going on in his life that potentially can cause him to stray, that can, things that he has the tshuva for. So it would seem on the surface, says Rapam, that it should be the exact opposite. The guy out in the street, the guy who's working, when El comes around, that should be a big wake-up call for him. And the guy in yeshiva, okay, no, you know, it's just another day. But it's the opposite. Why? So this is really a question, a very interesting question. And Paul explains like this, and this is something that's brought down also in other Sifrei Musar, that when you're in the environment of Kedusha, so because you know that you're on the proper path, you know that you're doing everything pretty much right, so the idea of improving yourself is not so daunting, it's not overwhelming, because, okay, what else, what's there to do? Okay, so you have a little bit more kavana by davening. You try to focus a little bit more during seder. You try not to be mevatel other people. But it's nothing that's so daunting that we can get intimidated by, we can get overwhelmed by. We feel that's within our reach. But for the average person who's out there in the street, and I mean, when I say street, I mean he's out there in the world. So for him, he looks at... The Yom Neirayim. He looks at El Shemalech Chaim. 
So, for the uh, guy in yeshiva, it's not so daunting, it's not overwhelming. But the average person who's out there in the workforce, who's out there in the world, he looks at El and he looks at himself, and he's overwhelmed, he's intimidated. He says, what's going to be me? Where I'm holding, how in the world am I going to come and approach Rosh Hashanah? How am I going to approach the Rebbein Shalom, the Yem Adin? You want me to feel, me, me to change who I am and what I'm doing? It's so difficult and it's so daunting. So what happens is a person falls into Yush. He falls into despair. He gives up. And so Mimela, what could Chas V'Shalom Chalila happen in it? Unfortunately, it does happen by so many of us. Is that we try to machavek, pretend that El doesn't even exist. And we say, okay, you know, let it just, let these days just pass by. And I can't wait for Sukkot. Ah, beautiful is Masav Chaseinu. There's Simchas Beis Hashueva. There's, uh, there's trips, there's so much going on. That I can tolerate. But these days, the intense Kedusha of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's too much. It's too much. There's nothing that I can do to change. So a person gives up. And that, of course, says Rav Palm, is the Eitz of the Eitz of Haaretz, the Asas HaYetzer. Because these days of El, as we know, and Chazal tell us, there's special Kedusha. The Eibishter is really waiting for every single one of us to come close to him. And there's much more opportunity during this time of the year to get close by putting in much less effort than there is throughout the year. There's a sefer called Shari Avoida, Shari Avoida, yeah, which uh, some people say was written by Rabbi Yoyna, the author of the Shari Tshuva. And he says very interesting like this, HaPesach HaRishayin, really the first step that a person has to know when he wants to start working on his Avoida Sashem, Sheyeda HaIsha Oived, Erech Atzmai, you have to know and appreciate your self-worth. You have to appreciate your milas. You have to appreciate. You have to appreciate your greatness. That is the first step that we have to realize. We want to improve our avodas Hashem. Every single person has to realize that he is great. He has greatness in him. And. And 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 Hakadosh Baruch Hu really appreciates everything that he does. We see this week uh, in this week's parsha, parsha's Kisavi, we, we see this inyan. Parsha starts off with the mitzvah of Bikurim, and after Bikurim, there's something called Vidur Meiser. That a few times, uh, once every few years, a person uh, in the time of Chazal. So you would take Meiser today as well. You would take Meiser off your fruit, off your off your crops, and you would. Um, redeem it onto a coin. So the, the coins have the value of the Kedusha of the Meiser. The halacha is that every few years you have to get rid of all the Meisers that are in your house. That's called beer Meisers. You can't keep it in your house anymore. So whether it's money, whether it's vegetables or fruit, at this certain point, it's Erev Pesach of the third year, you got to, the third year of the, of the Shemitah cycle, you got to get rid of it, give it to the Kayan, give it to the lady, give it to whoever deserves it. And together with the beer meiser, there's a special tefillah that a person says. What does he say? Biarti akoydesh menabayis. I got rid of all the meiser. Vegamnesativ lalevi vilager layosim vilamona. And the pasuk continues. Kechol mitzvos chasher tzivisoni. Let's grab a chumash to get the exact wording. And he continues. 
I didn't forget any of your mitzvahs. I did everything. The person didn't eat it when he was in Avelos. He didn't use it when he was in Tumah. I did everything exactly as you told me to do. So this is what he does. He says to the Rabbi Nishalaylam, I did everything the proper way. I didn't use these mice in the wrong way. I didn't use them tummy. I didn't use them when I wasn't supposed to. I did everything exactly as I'm supposed to do. And therefore, Rabbi Nishalaylam, please look down from Shemayim and bless us. Bless Klai Yisrael. As Rashi says, Asinu we did our part, and you do your part. So, very interesting. This sounds like a person praising himself and saying, I'm perfect. I did, right, I did everything right. Why is it called vidui? This doesn't sound like a vidui. This sounds more like, uh, you know, the other way around. A person is uh, declaring, like the Rav said, that he's perfect in every which way. What kind of a vidui is this? So, there's a beautiful vart from Biyashi really an explanation. And he says that this really is a remez to how a person is supposed to go about vidui and tshuva in general. That before a person comes to admit his guilt for the mistakes that he made, to say, to come to the Rebbeinah Shalom and say, I want to become better, and you know, I wasn't perfect up until now, I want to be better. Before you do that, before you do that kind of vidui, you have to do this type of vidui, the vidui meiser in which you have to acknowledge everything that you did do right. You have to say, yes, I did a lot of stuff the way you told me to do it. I ate it the proper way. I got rid of it the proper way. I did it exactly as you told me in the Torah. And this, he says, really is a foundation for tshuva in general. That the proper way to come to tshuva is for a person first to say that he has to acknowledge and understand Everything that he did right. What? No, 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 it's fine. I, I didn't end up using it. It means like the, the positive. Exactly. The positive exactly. The right, right, right. You have to understand your greatness and your potential. You have to appreciate that you the good that you're doing. And it's only then, when a person has that feeling, okay, you know, I did so much good. Now he could come and start looking, okay. With that in mind, there's still some stuff that I need to fix. I could be even better. But you first have to acknowledge where you're holding and appreciate the good things that you did. And when we have this approach, then there's no reason to fall into Yush. Because the truth is that we're all good. We're all, we all try, and we try to do the right thing. And so we can approach Slichus and these days of El, <coughs> come to the Rebbe and Shalom, say, no, all year round, we're engaged in Avayda Hashem. And we try, yes, you know, we try to learn. We try to dra- daven properly. We try to do what's right, benadam l'chaveroi. We try to do what's right, benadam l'mokam. And with that, Rebbeinu Shalaylam, we want to become even better. I'm reading now a book about a, uh, written really, an autobiography by a Holocaust survivor, a Hungarian woman, who's now in her 90s. It's called The Choice. This is a woman, a remarkable lady. She grew up in... Uh, a small town in Hungary, I forgot which one. Not not from, not religious, but very um, proud Jew. And the book describes 
First of all, her experiences through the Holocaust, uh, growing up in Hungary before the Holocaust, and going through the Holocaust, she was in Auschwitz, she was in other death camps, and then her journey coming to America and raising a family, <laughs> and most importantly, how she was able to overcome all the trauma that she went through in her life. And she said for many years, she lived with tremendous guilt. There's something called survivor's guilt that many of the survivors had. Like, why am I the one who made it through when so many others didn't? Like, what, what, did, what, what, what did I do that's, uh, that's special? What makes me unique? Why was I speared? Right, why was I speared? And in this particular case, this lady, her name is uh, <coughs> Edith Ager. She came to Auschwitz, this is in, in the spring of 1944, when the Hungarian Jews were deported. And they get off the train, and they're uh, presented, they're, they're, they're marched in front of uh, Mengele Yamach who of course would stand there. Mengele. Yeah, he would stand there, and he would do the selection. To the right means you get to live for the time being. To the left means going straight to the gas chambers. So she's online with her sister and her mother. Her father was already separated to the men's side. And she's, she comes first. Right behind her is her mother. So Mengele says to her, okay, how old are you? She said she's 16. Okay, you go to the right. And, he's, and he sees the woman behind her. He says, is this your sister or is it your mother? Now she had no idea what's happening here. She had no idea that being selected to the left means death. So she said, it's my mother. So Mengele said, okay, to the left. And she, of course, she ran after her mother. Megala said, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. You come back. You're going to meet up with your mother soon. She's just going to get cleaned in the showers. It was only a little while later when she asked one of the capos, what happened to my mother? And the capo points to the smoke coming out of the chimney. She says, you see that smoke? That's your mother. That she realized that her mother was sent to death. So this lady says that for years and decades she blamed herself for her mother dying. She couldn't get over it because she gave the wrong answer. And she should have said, it's my sister. Because obviously, the younger the person was, the more eligible they were for work. So they had the chance, uh, a better chance of survival. And she said finally, after decades, she was ready in her 50s, or maybe her 60s, eventually she became a PhD in psychology, and she learned that you have to forgive yourself. And she learned that you have to accept. And one of the things she tells herself, she tells herself, still to this day, she's alive, she's in her 90s, is that really, she did what she thought was right. She did it with a, with, with a in good conscience, in good mind. That's me mistake. She didn't know better. So why am I blaming myself for my mother's death where all I did was, I just gave the answer that really felt right at the time. And she said she was able to slowly absolve herself from that guilt that she had of being responsible for her mother's death. And, and you think about that story a lot because it really, you know, brings to, uh, to life this thought. Baruch Hashem, none of us have to go through anything remotely, uh, these kind of experiences. But we all have our experiences and we all have uh, our stumbling blocks and things that we blame ourselves for. But we have to realize at the same time that we have to look at ourselves and give ourselves a pass sometimes. Okay, the other person makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And for that, Baruch Hashem, we have these days of tshuva. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge and appreciate all the good that we did. 
And I can say that everybody who comes here to the shir on a Thursday night, I know there's so much other stuff they can do, he's a mevakesh. He wants to come close. He wants to learn Torah. He wants to know about the parsha. He wants to give me chizuk. So everybody here really is on a very, very high madreka. And we have to acknowledge that. And then we can come taka and approach slichas with a clear conscience and in the proper mind frame that, you know what? It's not that daunting anymore because we're good already. We're good. We're someone. Okay. Now we can talk and start looking for those areas that need to be fixed, but we don't have to be scared. And this really leads to another topic, which we find also in this week's parsha, where we have the Teichacha. The second Teichacha on the Torah, the first one in Parsha's Bechukaisai, the second one in Parsha's Kisavai. And at a certain point, the Torah says, You know why you're going to get punished with all these terrible things? Baruch says, I'm punishing you so badly, so severely, for the reason that you didn't serve me with Simcha. Serving Hashem with Simcha is a big, big part of being a Yid. Definitely, if you're a Chassid, if you're a breast of a Chassid, but even if you're a Kalta Litvak, it doesn't matter, because being with Simcha is really an integral part of what it means to serve Hashem, and that's how it's supposed to be done. Volba, the Mashkiach, he says, you know, people tend to think that someone who's a Baal Musr, he's somebody who's going to be very tense, and he's going to be very sad, because he's always looking at his faults, he's always looking at what's wrong. But he says, he knows for a fact that his Rebbe, the great Mashkiach of Yerucham, he was the happiest man that he knew. He was always happy, always upbeat, and always in a good mood. And he used to say to his Talmidim, I'm happy with my lot. He was very uh, comfortable and relaxed and happy in his own skin. And it didn't take away an iota from the fact that he was the greatest Balmusser of his time. Because really, it goes hand in hand. That yes, serving Hashem is a wonderful thing. And Kaddish Baruch Hu loves Klal Yisrael, he loves his children. And being engaged in Avodah Hashem is a reason to be even happier. And Revolva describes Simchas Torah in the Mary Yeshiva in Europe. The Meshkiach Rabbi Rucham used to sing a song called Ashreichem Yisrael. He would describe the mile of Klal Yisrael. And he would do it with tremendous Islahavus. And there was singing and dancing. And he would say, Rabbi Rucham, and he doesn't know what the Rabbi Nishalayim loves more. Is it the Yeshiva's Yom Kippur? Or is it the Yeshiva Simchas Torah? That's the high level that they reached through Simcha. And that's something that we have to keep in mind also this time of year. We have to be happy. And as we said, is waiting for us this time of year. And he wants us to come close. And he appreciates the small steps that we do. As we say, by the David Hashem Ayri, Ayri, say Chazal, is referring to Rosh Hashanah. Yishi is Yom Kippur. There's a great light that's here and available for us. And so we should seize that light and we should be happy that it's available for us. Chas Rishalom, not to fall into any kind of despair. Bianca Legalinsky brings down a beautiful story. Chaim Velozhener was learning the Sefer Tanah Develio, and he came across a very interesting passage. Baruch HaMokayim Baruch Hu Shebesvunasai Bara Oilamai V'Sameach V'Chelkai The Rebbeinah Shalaylam, he's Sameach V'Chelkai. He's happy with his lot. So he's learning this, Chaim Velozhener, he doesn't understand. Chazal tell us, Ezuah Shira Sameach V'Chelkai, that a person, if he wants to be, um, uh, consider himself wealthy, 
You have to be happy with what you have. Because if you're not, you're always going to be wanting more. So you could have all the money in the world, but you're always going to want more. So you're not going to be considered, you're not wealthy. But the person who's happy, he's comfortable with that, what he has, whatever it is, that's wealthy. So says Reb Chaim that, that applies to a human being, you know, who, who's limited in what he can own. But the Rebbein Hashanah owns everything. So what does that mean, Yisameach B'chalkai? He has everything. He went and he asked his Rebbe, the Goyen, the Vilna Goyen. And the Vilna Goyen said, you know, that's a good question. But Chazal tell us, It's true that the Rebbein Hashanah has everything. The Rebbein Hashanah can do anything. But at the same time, he wanted the world to be structured in a way that this concept of Yerash Shemaim, the person's Avaydas Hashem, Kosh says, I'm, I'm kind of staying out of it. I'm giving you the Bechira, I'm giving you the choices and the ability to choose. If you want to come close to me, I'm going to draw you closer, but you have the absolute ability to do the opposite. And when Akadosh Baruch Hu sees that a person chooses to come close to him, because he has Bechira, and this is not coming from the Rabbi Nishalaylam, he's happy. He's Sameach Bechelkoy. And as the Pasuk says, Kichelak Hashem Amoy. Akadosh Baruch Hu's Chelak is Klai Yisrael. And when Klai Yisrael does the right thing, Akadosh Baruch Hu's Sameach Bechelkoy. He's happy with us. And so that's something we have to keep in mind during this time of year. That the small steps that we take, they mean a lot to the Rebbeinu Shalom. He's very happy with it, and chas v'shalom, not to despair, but rather to be happy that we have this opportunity, and to try, to the best of our ability, to utilize it. The Mishnah Bura brings down, as we said, this Moshe Shabbos, and Mr. Shem will be saying slichas, uh, and the halacha is that slichas has to be said for a minimum of four days before Rosh Hashanah. So if Rosh Hashanah falls out, let's say on a Thursday, you start that Moshe Shabbos. If Rosh Hashanah falls out like this week on a Tuesday, or sometimes it falls out on a Monday, so you're not going to have four days that week, so you start the week before. So, so this week really is, like Chaim said, is the maximum amount of days that you can say slichas, you have this whole next week, plus Sunday and Monday. Why do you need four days? So one of the reasons the Mishnah brings down is because it says, all the Yom Taivim, when the Torah discusses the Karbanas that have to be brought, it says, you should be makriv a karban. But by Rosh Hashanah, the Pasuk says, Vasisam oilo. Which, they darshan, Vasisam oilo. You make an oilo. Who do you make an oilo? You make an oilo yourself. You're, so to speak, preparing yourself for this day of Rosh Hashanah. The aloha is that a karban has to be set apart. If you want to bring an animal as a karban, you got to separate it from the flock four days before, so that these four days it's going to be checked, that there's no mumim in it, there's nothing wrong with it, there's no blemishes, and then you can bring it as a carbon. So since we need these four days of a carbon, and the carbon this time of year is a person himself, so you got to have a minimum of four days of slichas. So the idea is that this time, this is the time that we're supposed to look at where we're standing in life and try to find those areas where you know, we can improve a little bit, the areas that we can fix. But as we said at the same time, it's confusing because there's so many areas so what should a person work on? You know, should you work on improving your davening? Maybe your learning? Should you work on benadam lechaveray? There's so much to work on. So the Chavetz Chaim says, a famous mashal, we've mentioned this once, uh, once or twice here. There was a, f- a person who was a merchant, a fur merchant. And a few times a year, he would go to the big city, to uh, the uh, supplier, and he would buy from him this chayra that he would sell in his town throughout the next few months. 
And naturally, as is, as is in business, you don't always pay everything up front. You take things on credit. One day, he goes to the town. He goes into the uh, shop, the, 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 big, the big supplier's shop, the wholesaler. And the guy takes a look at him and he says, sorry, I'm done with you. I'm not selling you anything anymore. He says, what do you mean? He says, that's it. You took so much schayr on credit and you haven't paid me back. I'm done. I cannot, I cannot give you credit anymore. Man's devastated. How's he going to make a living? How's he going to earn a pronounce? So he says, this, just this one time, I'm going I'm to have a big sale. I'm going to pay you back all the money. He says, no, no, no. Finally, one of the workers is standing there and he says to the merchant, the, uh, the uh, retailer, he says to him, here's what you should do. Instead of taking the usual big amount that you usually take for a few months, take a small amount, maybe for a month's worth of supplies that you need. At the end of this month, you pay back. And then the next month, you take again the same amount. Once the boss sees that you're serious about paying him back, he's going to start being more gracious to you again. And he's going to start lending you on credit again. So start off small, and then slowly, slowly, gradually, build back your credit, build back the, um, the feelings of belief and the feelings of connection, and then you'll be able to go back to, to taka, taking a lot of schayra on credit, which is exactly what the man did. Says the Chavaz Chaim, the same is true with the Rebbeinu Shalom, with our relationship with the Rebbeinu Shalom. A whole year round, we so to speak, we take things on credit, we say, okay, it's going to be okay, Rebbeinu Shalom, you know, I'm not davening so well, I'm not learning so well, I'm not so careful with areas of who knows what. It's okay, don't worry, it's going to be good. I promise you. You know, we have in the back of our mind, so to speak, that when things, you know, uh, eventually things are going to improve. So, comes around the end of the year, the time of the Yemei Adin, Rosh Hashanah, and, and the person says, wait a second, the Rebbeinu Shalayim might be running out of patience. He might say, I don't have any more patience for you, I don't have any more tolerance. You've been borrowing on credit. So we say to him, okay, Rebbeinu Shalayim, you know what? We're going to take small amounts now. We're going to take small steps, small things to show you that we're serious about our Vaidas Hashem. So we're going to pick a small area. So maybe it means trying to come, let's say, five minutes earlier to davening for, some, for one person. And for another person, it means maybe trying not to talk by part of davening where you shouldn't be talking. Or for another person, maybe it means trying to have a few more minutes a day of learning Torah. A small area that a person can take it and sit, stick with it and show the Rebbeinu Shalayim that he's serious. And then, we show Kadesh Baruch we're serious, we mean business. He says, okay, you know what? Gradually, slowly, step by step, you're going to come all the way back to me. And as Chazal tell us, We take a small step, Kadesh Baruch says, I'm going to take care of the rest, I'm going to use that small step and make it great. And that is what we're supposed to do now, this time of year. Small things that are within our reach, things that we're, cap we're capable of doing, and every single person knows what, you know, the areas that he's capable of doing and improving on. You take a small one or two things that you feel that you can work on, stick with it, and that is going to be your process of tshuva. And it's going to show the Rebbeinu Shalom, though, that we mean business. So whatever it is, it's good. Whatever it is, it's appreciated. Whatever it is, it's a wonderful step in bringing us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and helping us prepare for the Yemei Adin. As Rebbeinu Yoyin says in Shari Tshuva, L'chol Tshuva Timotzei Slicha. Even a small step. Kadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, this is big, this is important, and for me, this is considered tshuva. We should talk to that, and I just want to conclude with a beautiful story 
let's just uh, quickly repeat the things that we said, the main points. And that is, number one, that we shouldn't be daunted, we shouldn't be overwhelmed and scared, we shouldn't be miyayish from the avoida of Yemei Adin. It's not that intimidating, it's not that scary. Adarabah, we have to appreciate all the good things that we do throughout the year. And we have to realize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu appreciates the things that we do. And of course, try to take small steps that are going to last, that are going to bring the Rebbe Shalayim Nachas that he'll see that we're serious about our Avodah Sashem. There's a book that came out about uh, the Rav of Migdal Haimek and Eretz Yisrael, of Yitzchak David Grossman. Famous Rav, a big, big Kira pioneer, someone who really, really made a huge difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of Yidin in Eretz Yisrael. He has a grandson. Rav Grossman's family is very, very uh, closely linked to Lubavitch. And some of his kids are Chabad Hasidim. He has a grandson who's a shaliach in China. His name is Dubi Hennig. And he's a shaliach in a, in a city called Chengdu, which is the fifth largest city in China. Uh, 15, about 15 million people live there. And there's also a few hundred Yidin. And also many backpackers who come through, Israelis and so forth. So he has a Chabad house there where, uh, you know, it's an open house. Anybody can come for a hot meal to daven, to put on tefillah, and whatever it is, as Chabad is well known for doing. Rabbi Hennig had uh, a child, a boy, and he invited his grandfather, Rav Grossman, to come to China for the bris and the shalom zachar. And knowing, uh, Rav Grossman, knowing that there are many Israelis who pass by that town, and he never misses an opportunity to do kirov, he decides he's going to China. This was about two years ago, before COVID. So he travels to China, to the city of Chengdu, to his grand, great-grandson, Shalom Zacher, and eventual bris. It was in the Chabad house, in the home of the, of the Honigs, the Honigs, and there were over 100 people there on Friday night, enjoying the, the Shabbos meal, which was combined with the Shalom Zacher. All of a sudden, a backpacker walks in which seemingly was an Israeli boy, walks into the room. He takes one look at the Rav, at Rav Grossman, sitting at the head of the table. He bursts into tears. Bursts into tears. So Rav Grossman goes over to him. What happened? Did I say something to you? Did I do something to you? Was that scared? Why are you crying? Okay, the boy calms down, and he tells him this unbelievable story. He was backpacking through China, and... He was trying to reach a certain place, a certain city, where there was some sort of a, a concert or a festival going on. Anyway, he was hitchhiking rides, and he was still a few hundred miles away from his destination, when on the road that they were traveling on, they, the police had put up some roadblock because there was some, uh, some construction activity. Anyway, anybody who had to go that way had to turn off the road and go a different route. The driver said, okay, I'm turning back, I'm not continuing. So now he has a decision to make. He says, okay, you know what, let me off. I don't want to go back. I'm going to try to hitchhike through back roads to make my way. He starts walking, and it's getting dark. It's Friday. And he finds himself off the road in the middle of nowhere, in a field. Okay, now, so what's a young Israeli in a field, hitchhiking in China, in the middle of nowhere? What's he going to do? Right, so he sits down. All of a sudden, the sky is open, and there's a torrential downpour. Tremendous rainstorm, thunderstorm. He's sitting there in the middle of nowhere, all by himself, in the thunderstorm. He's like, like thinking, you know, what in the world is happening to me and how did I find myself in this situation? And all of a sudden he remembers something. A few years back when he was in high school, 
So they took his school, his high school, they took him to meet Rav Grossman. He's a famous Israeli personality. So the school came to visit him. And he taught the boys and the girls in the school a song. The song goes like this. Um, Whatever happened, happened. The main thing is to start from anew. Abba techadesh otilagamre. Renew me and ignite my neshama so I should get close to you. That's the song. Very nice song. It's a very famous song. So Rav Grossman taught it to these boys, to these youngsters. All of a sudden, Nafiel in China, he remembers that story. He remembers Rabbi Grossman and he starts singing the song. And he, he feels infused with chizuk. He starts dancing in the rain in the middle of nowhere. When all of a sudden, a Chinese man who happened to be the owner of that field, he walks by, he says, what in the world is going on here? What are you doing? Who are you? What are you? So he says, you know, I'm an Israeli, I'm a Jew, and I'm here, I'm stuck, I'm in the middle of nowhere, I don't know where I am. So he says, you're a Jew, I know where I can take you. Come into my car. He drives him, and he drops him off, and he says, okay, go inside here, here you're going to find other Jews. And where is the place that he drops him off? At this Chabad house, where Rabbi Grossman is. No, imagine his shock. Imagine his shock when he opens the door and who does he see there? Rabbi Grossman himself. So the main thing is, the lesson that we see is that we say, Rabbi Shalom, we want to come close to you and Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to show us the way to come close. We should talk to be Zoycha to a wonderful Elul and to a Ksiv Ksima